0: Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us.
1: Now this is the eighth sermon in our sermon series of Luke's Gospel, and this evening we are at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, page 857 in your Pew Bible. Now it would be no exaggeration to say that for many people, the story of Jesus' birth told to shepherds in a visitation of angels is practically all they know of Christianity and if you're of a certain vintage, let us say, then you can close your eyes and recall the voice of Linus Van Pelt reciting these verses to Charlie Brown, ending with, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, for 51 years. Now, there is a good deal of truth In this sentence, after just seven verses to describe his birth, Luke goes on to take up nearly twice as much space to explain the meaning of this birth. And this is no human point of view. Look at what the shepherds say to one another in verse 15. Let us go to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord Has made known to us. The meaning is provided by one point of view and one only. God gives the meaning. Therefore, as we learned last Lord's Day, we must examine these verses in comparison with what has gone before so that we can see the similarities and the important differences. Now, what are the similarities? There is the appearance of an angel. There is a reaction of fear. There is the announcement of a birth. And there is a sign to confirm God's testimony. And now consider the differences we have here. The announcement is not future. It has already happened. This day. Now is the time of fulfillment. Now is the day of God's gracious salvation. And the announcement is not given to parents. It's given instead to outsiders, the shepherds, who were outsiders in a double sense. They are not of Jesus' family, and they are persons of low regard, persons of poverty. There's a hint here of what we find later in Luke. The Lord Jesus redefines his family with people such as these. The announcement does not include the child's name. Instead, we are told three titles. Savior, Christ, Anointed One, Messiah, and Lord. In other words, he is exalted as his role in God's purposes are made clear in our redemption. And this new era in God's plan is first received by shepherds. Angels appear. The glory of the Lord made the night like midday. The songs of angels praising God are heard. They had all this in abundance and more. And so were brought forward in another set of gracious contrasts, like we examined last week. Then, in verses 1 to 7, Luke sets out that it was the identity of the baby who was to be born and the manner in which he was born into this world as contrast. Now, it is the manner in which the baby is born and the identity of those who first receive the news are in contrast. And all along, Luke carefully connects the dots for us. We begin then with what must have been a frightening experience for the shepherds, a frightening revelation. Now, look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, I want you to think back for a moment. I want you to try and recall the most spectacular fireworks display you ever saw. Now, I remember one. It was years ago in 1976. I know it because it was the year of America's bicentennial. I was in college then, and a friend of mine and I went into New York City. And There had been that day the great tall ships filling the river, and at dusk, all the great bridges over the Hudson, the Empire State Building, the new World Trade Center, only three years old then, was floodlit in red, white and blue. And then that evening, as the sun went down and the night gathered around us, there was a great fireworks display in the harbor, all centered on the Statue of Liberty. It was a display that seemed to be loaded with all the celebration of 200 years that our nation could hold. The noise, the lights, the energy, the glory, the ohs and the ahs. Children screaming and covering their ears with the bangs. People everywhere. Balconies and buildings, streets and quays by the riverside. What was your most glorious firework? My friends, whatever you remember as the most spectacular nighttime display pales into insignificance to what the shepherds Witnessed here. The veil is pulled away and the presence and the power of God revealed to them. This revelation has a specific purpose. It is to put the fear of life into them. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, notice the reason for this. We've seen it all through our study at the beginning of Luke's gospel. It is in the way God tailors his revelation to each of the recipients that we have studied. So that in each case, the person is graciously drawn to our Heavenly Father. The way he comes to Mary. The way he comes to Zechariah. And now, the manner that he comes to reveal himself to these shepherds, the lowest of the low. Indeed, according to the rabbis of the time, shepherds were under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. Shepherds were not able to appear in court as witnesses because it was thought that their testimony could not be trusted. The only people lower than shepherds in this time in Jewish history were lepers. But notice, God breaks into their lives in this awesome display of his power and glory in order to draw them to his own son. And he announces a message to them that will be of immense joy for all people. So here's the paradox. If we are ever to realize how desperately serious God is that we should taste the joy of the Lord, this pattern of God's working has to be repeated in your life and in mine. We must be startled with a godly fear. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, Pain shatters the illusion that all is well. That what we have, whether good or bad in itself, is our own and enough for us. You see, my dear friends, a godly fear like this alerts us to our lack, alerts us to our need of God's goodness and grace. He's done it to draw our attention to the joy and the grace that is to be found in Jesus Christ. The gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. This is how the apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 29 For consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of god this experience that frightened the shepherds it was an experience that left them conscious Of their need, that in God's grace led them on a journey to Jesus Christ. You know, it would be no exaggeration to say that gospel ministers so wish they could do this, that God would put into the power of gospel ministers the ability to enter in the minds and hearts of people to see the glory, the joy of the Lord but he hasn't done that. I can't do that. I am helpless. I can do absolutely nothing to affect what I long to affect in the lives of others, that you and I could see the glory of the Lord. But thank God I don't need to, because when God draws us to himself, He prepares the soil, doesn't he? He works in our lives. He creates needs. He superintends our sorrows because he wants to show the glory of his joy. That was the manner of this frightening experience. But, you know, the night's not over yet. What follows this frightening experience is an astonishing birth announcement. It really, truly is a remarkable announcement. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice the announcement. There's the date, the place. There's the identity of the child. He is the Savior, Christ the Lord. But have you noticed something odd about it? Have you noticed how this birth announcement is unlike every other birth announcement? What should it really say? Well, if it were a typical birth announcement, it would say something like this Today, in the city of David, is born a son to Mary and to Joseph. But what do we have here? Today is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, to you. What is God saying to the shepherds? Now, we know the shepherds most likely had grown up knowing the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that the Christ, the Messiah, will come. But, you know, there is a big difference, isn't there, between knowing that's what the Christ will do and knowing that he does it for you. Who is Luke thinking about here? I think he's still thinking about Theophilus. And every person like him who had a knowledge of Jesus, but not a commitment to the Lord Jesus. To you is born this day. What does that do? Well, it enables the shepherds to say that this Savior, this Christ... This Lord can be mine. Can be mine. Well, now for a bit of history. This is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So here's a little pop quiz for you. Do you know which doctrine it was the Roman Catholic Church found to be the most dangerous? What would your answer be? The most dangerous doctrine of the Protestant Reformation. Well, perhaps you might say, what? Well, um, justification by faith alone? Good guess. But it wasn't that. The most dangerous doctrine of our Reformation to the Roman Catholic theologians is the doctrine of assurance. 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 They called it the greatest of Protestant heresies, assurance of salvation. Now, why would they say this? Because they understood that as long as it was necessary for me to contribute, either religiously or morally, as long as it was the way of salvation, something like heaven helps those who help themselves, as long as it's like that, I have a problem. Do you see what it is? It means I can never help myself enough. No matter what I may say to defend myself, my conscience can never say to me, you've done enough. You're in. You're saved. You've probably heard people say something like that. I have. Well, I'm good enough. I'm a good person. So I think I'll get in. But in my experience, I tend to find that they do that with a shrugged shoulder. They're not really sure because, you know, their conscience isn't saying this to them. They are indeed unsure. I mean, think about it. How could you possibly have assurance of salvation if you knew that it was up to you to do something, to qualify for that salvation? done any mistakes this week? in any plan you've made, my friends. You could never be sure that you had done enough to get in. But that's why this birth announcement is so remarkable. Because it comes to these shepherds who have done nothing to qualify for it. They knew they were a lost cause. Today, there is born in the city of David a Savior for you. And you may come, and you may call him yours, and enjoy the assurance of salvation and the joy of the Lord. Because you have discovered in this Savior peace with God. My dear friend, do you you understand this? Consider what this means. There is no possibility of joy in my heart if there is no peace in my heart. That is why the Apostle Paul says that it is because we are justified through faith, not in what we have done, but in what Christ has done, that we hope to rejoice in the glory of God and in the peace of God. My dear friends, this is the wonderful birth announcement made to these shepherds. And there's a third aspect here, isn't there? We have a frightening revelation. We have an amazing birth announcement. And we have a most unusual sign. Oh, I do hope you see the meaning of this sign. It was the unusual nature of the sign that made the glorious message so important and so effective for the hearts of these terrified men. We know this because of what the shepherds did. You see, because of the sign, the shepherds concluded, well, if this is the way he is announced, he surely must be the son of God. Now, why the sign then? Well, just take away the one thing from the other. If you were told that you find the baby lying in a feeding trough and wrapped in swaddling clothes, why is that so important? Why is that so unusual? Well, think of the opposite. The same announcement, but you're told that the sign will be you will find him in the palace. What would the shepherds have said to one another then? Oh, well, (laughs) we'll never get in. Not people like us. Let's not go to see this thing that has come to pass. If he had been placed in a grand crib, in a fine nursery, in a great palace, they would have said, oh, well, (laughs) yeah, he's not for people like you and me but he's placed in a manger. He's wrapped in tight bands that would hold his limbs against him back in the cave in Bethlehem. What is the power of the sign? God gave this in order to underline for these shepherds that this savior had come for people like them. It is as though they understood what we learned last Sunday. For someone to have come so far from heaven's great glory already, there is therefore no one that is so low that they would ever be in a position to say, I know he can save others, but (laughs) he can't save me. Why? Why does he come like this? Underline For you and me, my dear friend, that there is no obstacle in him. Nothing stands between you and him. He is so gentle, meek and lowly, so gracious. He comes into such poverty, coming down to the lowest of the low to tell you and me that there is nothing in him to prevent him being your saviour. There is no one here who can say he's not qualified to save me. Because he is God of God, he is meant to save the highest, the gifted, the greatest, not me. My dear friend, there is no obstacle in the Lord Jesus of him coming to save you. Indeed, if there is one, if there is an obstacle... It's found in you and in me, not in him. And the wonderful thing God did for the shepherds is that he ushered them out of their reluctance and brought them to the Lord Jesus. This is that great principle. If we are not trusting Christ without reservation, it's not because there's something wrong with him. It's not because there's some obstacle in him, some inadequacies in him. It's because all the obstacles are right here right here in our hearts. And by God's grace, he removed them in the shepherds. And you know what? He can remove them in you. So the story ends with transformed lives. Now, the text doesn't actually say they believed, but I think it's obvious that they did. When they saw what they saw in Bethlehem, They said that they wanted to make known what they had been told concerning this child and the shepherds' returned, glorifying and praising God. They had become fearless witnesses for Christ. They were arrested by the vision of the glory of God. So they began to glorify God, to praise God in the peace of God. And they spread his glory as they told others of the wonderful things that God had done in their lives. You know, a pastor colleague told me how he was between flights once in an airport, Starbucks, and noticed another man at a nearby table trying to get the Wi-Fi. And you know how we do that. Oh, well, if you want the Wi-Fi and you give them that little tip that you've got. Well, my colleague struck up a conversation, asked how the man was. The other replied, not typical. He said, oh, I feel fantastic. It's been the most wonderful year of my life. And he went on like this for a little bit. And my pastor thought to himself, oh, my goodness, perhaps this man has been converted. So he asked a few more questions. And it turned out the man had not. Because he went on to tell him why he felt so fantastic. The man had lost 100 pounds in the last nine months. Out came the mobile phone, the pictures sliding by to prove it, each one with a story, medication for diabetes put away, body pain, breathlessness gone. The guy was just brimming over. He kept giving his testimony to the glory of the experience. And the time ran out, and they went their separate ways. You know, when my friend told me the story, he said this. You know, Henry, people like this man, they are changed, but it's outward. But think about what would happen if believers have experienced the glory of God would tell only half of what they had seen. My goodness. There wouldn't be a person left who didn't know of the Lord Jesus. You know, I've thought about that as I pondered the shepherds this week. Consider the truth that came to my mind. You know, I'm not going to tell anyone that Christ has done marvelous things for me unless he has done marvelous things for me. So I ask myself, am I taking my salvation for granted? Is God's amazing grace no longer amazing to me? My dear friend, I hope it's still amazing to you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church. Ancient truth, real people, new life.